Hello and welcome back to the EPL show on FNR Football Nation Radio. As you can see, I am in a new position. I'm behind the desk. I feel like Dr. Dre on Super Bowl night with all these dials and buttons and levers. Uh, and as you can tell, it is my first time because I didn't do it properly. But uh, it doesn't matter. We're back on the EPL show. Oscar Rutherford, Josh Parrish, who is in shot this week, which is fantastic. Always wonderful to see your face, Mr. Parrish. Uh, how are we, guys? I'm doing well, mate. I particularly enjoyed the intro today. Uh, we've heard a little bit more of the music than we intended to, but it's good music. So I'm not complaining. Absolutely, It's just, just setting the tone. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be back. Good to have you back, Nick. After a week off, and uh, Thank you. Yeah, jumping right into the deep end, doing all this extra work, all this multitasking going on. Yeah, so we'll, wasn't... we'll forgive you if you if you trail off into nonsense a bit more regularly than usual. This I week. appreciate it. I appreciate the uh, the thoughtfulness. Um, yeah, wasn't uh, wasn't expecting all this responsibility when I <laughs> I came through the doors in uh, in at Docklands Drive this week. But we have an EPL show to rattle off. Um, Always plenty to talk about in, in terms of EPL, but uh, I mean, looking at the at Champions League back this morning, uh, plenty of midweek Premier League action uh, continues to, to come across cup competitions as well. Obviously, we've just come off the international break, which would have been last week's show, which I wasn't here for, uh, of course. So uh, plenty of action. I think might as well jump right in uh, with Champions League talk. Man City with a, another classic entertaining game, and I reckon that's about all we even need to talk about. Yep, well covered. <laughs> Nicely done. Yep, done. Yep. Five nil win uh, away. I, I, I can say a few things if you like. <laughs> oh, sure. uh, I, I did. I did uh, well, I was watching the other game, obviously. Yes. Who's going to watch sports? Although, as, as I heard, equally as disappointing that game for oh. a different reason. Yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, Manchester City put on a clinic. Uh, in mm. Lisbon, and particularly special for Bernardo Silva, who is, of course, a former Benfica, Benfica junior and played at the club for 12 well. or 13 years. So the couple of former Benfica players in the lineup. So a little bit of extra significance, and they certainly got it done in emphatic fashion. And that half volley from Oof. Bernardo Silva was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, fantastic. He would have had a hat-trick as well had the uh, second-half header not been uh, disallowed, but it was 4-0 at halftime. I mean, it was 3-0 after half an hour and the tie's well and truly over at that point. I mean, to be honest, it was over as soon as the balls came out of the pots, uh, in, in all fairness to uh, to Sporting Lisbon. But, I mean, we, we tend to have this conversation probably every year when the Champions League knockout stages start and Man City have a big win in their first, in, in the round of 16 or if it's in the quarterfinal. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold had a... A slight dig. He he said uh, no no digs intended, but he he mentioned uh, he was asked this morning uh, ahead of Liverpool's game tomorrow about um, you know is there an expectation for Liverpool to win trophies now? Will there be any disappointment uh, if they don't win any trophies? And he said no. You know there's there's no disappointment, etc. You look at no digs. You look at Man City's team, and they haven't won the Champions League yet. So that is still the 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 large elephant in the room for Man City. It has to happen at some point. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, Surely. We, we know that the strength of Pep Guardiola teams, including this Man City team, is their consistency and their relentlessness. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily bode well for kind of one-off or home-and-away fixtures that, that you get in the Champions League. We know that. That's well documented. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I mean, City doing what they want, what, what they needed to do or what they would have liked to do just to kind of take that pressure off straight away. Don't have to worry about the, the second leg, particularly because we know how... Con- 
congested this part of the season is when they've got so many competitions and they're doing so much travel. But um, yeah, well, I, I think as as you've rightly alluded to, Nick, uh, with TAA's comments, the discussion of I think Man City really want to actually win the Champions League this year. I mean, they'll they'll keep winning things pretty much no matter what. But mm. the the question becomes, as it does seemingly every year, can they translate that into this knockout cup uh, tournament format competition, which they haven't. Which they have in some context been able to do, but not don't, in the Champions League. Don't try and knock out yeah, the microphone. Sorry. It hasn't done anything to you, Oscar. really passionate about <laughs> it, I guess, yeah. But no, you're exactly right. And, and as I said, it is that elephant in the room for Manchester City because they've won literally every other competition multiple times in the last seven, ten years probably. Um, just off the top of my head, what is it? Probably four Premier League titles now since the first one in 2012. They've win the League Cup just about every year apart from this year where they're not in the final. Uh, a couple of FA Cups as well. Um, and I think it's it's probably probably the manner in which they've been knocked out of past Champions League campaigns as well. Um, last year, obviously, losing a f- the final in a quite an insipid display against uh, Chelsea in that final. Year before was, of course, the lockdown one when they lost to Lyon when Pep Guardiola decided to play a three at the back for the first time all season. Um, and then... The final, the, the previous ones before that, yeah. Spurs and uh, and Liverpool, where I mean they were pre- probably a little bit hard done by with the Spurs one, considering Fernando Llorente okay. scored with his arm. Well, yeah, you do remember the scenes at the end as well with the offside yes, Raheem Sterling, Sterling goal one, yep. and and Guardiola with his head in his hands. Yeah, I mean I, I found it uh, quite amusing in the final last season where uh, Guardiola just decided to withdraw his midfield yeah. from the contest. <laughs> That's the only reason they haven't won this thing is Guardiola overthinks it, does something crazy every single time in the Champions League because they're obsessed with winning this competition. He just overthinks it. And then somehow, you know, they deviate from the formula that is so successful in league football and in the earlier stages of the Champions League where they've racked up, I mean, more goals than anybody in the space of time that they've competed. And this is a stat. The 14th team to score 200 goals in the UEFA Champions League. Yeah, big whoop. But it's <laughs> taken just 97 games to score 200 goals, That's which is fewer than any of the other 13 teams who've got there before them mm. by quite a margin. So this team is completely dominant and uh, their own worst enemy in the big games. Will that change this season? I think they have a pretty good chance. Yeah, you you would think so. The they they're doing the business again in the Premier League, and it, it is the one that that continues to elude them. Like I said to to Oscar before, there is that inevitability. It is going to happen at some stage, and you know, we talk about um, Pep sort of overthinking. Like he's done it before, uh, twice with Barcelona. I think oh, nine mm-hmm. and eleven, he would have been around for. Um, never with Bayern, which was again one of his bigger criticisms coming from Germany, and, and still hasn't done it at Man City. But we know the caliber of Pep, we know the caliber of um, of the squad, and it probably is uh, only a matter of time, especially if they continue to get uh, handed the easiest draw in each round, as they uh, they often tend to do. And of course, we're also talking about this in the week where Chelsea won the Club World Cup. So yeah. talking about them joining that. Don't club tell. Of- don't tell Craig Burley. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about it when, when Chelsea kind of adding that to, I think, have won like pretty much every competition that's ever been made in football history. Kind yeah. Of thing now and Man City obviously wanting to do that as well. That's kind of, they have that, that blueprint in front of them. So that would probably be in the minds of the people at Man City to see Chelsea achieving in that way so that they'll be desperate to replicate that, I'd imagine. It also helps that I think the calibre of opposition is not as high this season in the yeah. rest of Europe, I wouldn't say. 
for sure. I think their closest contenders are in the Premier League. I mean, we'll see what Inter does against Liverpool. I think that's going to be very uh, instructive, I should say, from the perspective of Serie A versus Premier League and the actual standard at play there. But from what I saw this morning as PSG beat Real Madrid was two teams with a series of players who were past their best, who are playing a style of football from a previous era, particularly Real Madrid, who was so passive in Mm. that game. It was incredible how deep they were sitting. And PSG, we know, is just such a flawed, incomplete side with a manager that doesn't suit the players and a group of players that doesn't seem to suit any manager. <laughs> and it's it's interesting that um, the Real Madrid sort of tactic of that sitting back, we'll touch on it briefly, but I guess it, it speaks to the, the broader Champions League outlook is there's no away goals this time around, which a lot of people quickly sort of put two and two together where Real Madrid playing away in Paris were were much less inclined to to be on the front foot and to sneak an away goal where they were happy with if you know get a nil nil away from home then you just have to win your game at home mm. which seems like a perfectly sound and and reasonable tactic but uh, yeah in terms of creating a spectacle on the pitch it, it certainly didn't uh, didn't seem to light um, light any flares if, if you like. But yeah, the the away goals is is going to be something which is is interesting. I'm I, I'm not a fan of of them getting rid of it. I mean, it's it's one that you always hate when your team gets knocked out on away goals. But it does create that extra element to a knockout tie. I, I have a degree of sympathy for kind of these rule makers because I remember yeah. all the time hearing people complain about yeah, the away so goals true. <laughs> and saying, "Oh, that's such an outdated concept. Like, why are we still wasting our time with this kind of thing? It doesn't." add anything to, to the competition and so kind of you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't when you're making yeah. that that ruling which which you know I, I understand both sides of the argument and so it'll be I think it'll be interesting to observe how teams change their approach this season without the away goals and, and kind of maybe assess at the end to see whether we think that creates a greater spectacle kind of thing I just quickly to go back when we're talking about the competition that Man City face of course I mean, in my mind, the main, you know, apart from Inter, which we'll obviously learn a lot about, we've got Bayern as well, who aren't as dominant as they have been, but you've got a really yep. interesting case of Julian Nagelsmann there and how that, how he would vary against Pep if they were to come up with their, you know, in this in this current iteration of City mm. and Bayern. So that could be a really interesting test for them. But yeah, other than that, as Josh says, largely Premier League opposition that will be the main blocks in the way. Mm. Yeah, main stumbling block, I think. Um, I mean, there's always the chance, I guess, with PSG that one of their individual players comes up with something. I mean, Neymar didn't even start this game, so yeah. I guess it has to be uh, Mbappe. But Special goal. Yeah, it was Mbappe. a pretty special goal. I would also say that the defending was almost conditioned by what had happened earlier with the penalty yeah. in a similar position, and you can see um, Militao pull out of that challenge and so forth. But you know, we don't need to mi- <laughs> like put a microscope on these teams yeah. on the on the EPL show uh, because we're here to talk about English football. And <laughs> my takeaway from that game is, I think an English team will win the Champions League yeah. again based on based on that. And you know, there's Bayern, uh, there's obviously Juventus and Inter, but. To be honest, I don't really see it for any of those teams. It doesn't seem to be coming together. I think it's it's City or Liverpool or maybe Chelsea again. Yeah, I I, I think particularly as the Premier League season goes on, I think certainly if it continues in the way that you know Man City continue to dominate and Liverpool can 
you know have their sort of one or two slip ups between now and May, I w- I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool really start to attack. Not of, of course not that they wouldn't be attacking all competitions already, but really start to put that focus on the Champions League. Like I remember when Chelsea did it in 2013-14, of course that famous uh, Gerard slip game when Chelsea had a very second string 11 because they knew they were playing Atletico Madrid in the, the semi-final. They didn't make the final in the end. But I feel like a similar scenario might end up playing out. And now with you know lots of talk about Liverpool's depth, the whole squad is fit. Luis Diaz has come in. The, the front sort of five or six options look really good. In midfield, Harvey Elliott's fit. Thiago's fit. Um, like you said, it, it, I, th- I think tomorrow morning will be really interesting against Inter. Um, Inter again, you know, so much talk about them in terms of you know they lost Lukaku, Antonio Conte walked away after their their league win last season, but they're back or they were on top. They're second now, but have a game in hand on on Milan at the top. Uh, so I think that's going to be a, a real interesting one. Added the um, the the lack of away goals onto that as well, but it does feel like yeah, City and Liverpool are probably the favourites because you look at the draw and just. None of the matchups are really all that exciting. Like Chelsea, Lille, you know, Benfica, Ajax might be a bit of fun because neither are necessarily a a, a powerhouse. If you like, obviously Ajax have, have massive history in the competition. But I remember when the draws came out and when the draws were actually probably finalised after the the second time around, of course, for the for the Champions League. I look at the Europa League draw and think that is a much more entertaining looking knockout round. Obviously, there's twice the amount of, uh, of ties because they have a round of 32. But Barcelona, Napoli, Leipzig, Real Sociedad, Porto, Lazio, even I think Sevilla, Dinamo, Zagreb would, uh, would, would be a nice little tie. Um, actually, no, there aren't extras because the group winners get automatically into the round of 16. Yeah, it's so just, this is just, the just a 16. Yeah. Um, uh, they're just playing them all in a more condensed Yeah, so they do time. the the second in the group plays the, the third teams from the Champions League. And they're all on the one down. morning. None of this staggered yeah. <laughs> Champions League fixtures for TV purposes. They're just getting these games out the way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, almost uh, somewhat ironically, you know, people like to talk down about the Europa League. I honestly think the Europa League lineup is... Uh, is much more entertaining, but alas, um, I guess that's what um, that's what's happened to elite European football. We we had a, a nice big chat uh, a, a few weeks ago about um, Man City and their their boring success and the the, the impact that money has had. Uh, I think you're absolutely on, right to make football. that connection. That's right. This is again just a broader consequence of that even greater stratification of the very top of the game, and we're just seeing that affect more and more teams and more and more leagues in more and more ways. So. It's, yeah, for sure. Related things. Absolutely. Uh, so that uh, well, I think we'll leave Champions League there because that's uh, Manchester United uh, also play uh, Atletico Madrid. Uh, mm. So uh, Liverpool into tomorrow at seven a.m. Uh, and then Chelsea Lille next Wednesday. Atletico Madrid Manchester United, which could be interesting because again, Atletico aren't well. Certainly, when I last looked, weren't having a, a great season in La Liga and had, had fallen off the pace. Uh, certainly at the top. Um, didn't look very good against Liverpool or, or at all in the group stages, really. Only seven points uh, from the six games. Uh, and if I can get the La Liga table up, yeah, they're in fifth. They're even behind Barcelona, and we know what, what a basket case Barcelona are at the moment. So plenty of interesting stuff to come over the next couple of weeks. And, of course, for the round of 16 uh, of the Champions League, we have to wait like three weeks between the first leg and the second leg because it – has to catch up to the Europa League with their uh, extra round. Uh, 
but uh, we'll have plenty of fun with that. And we'll move on. Or maybe we'll take a break. We've done our Champions League. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll move on to some of the Premier League action. Manchester United and Brighton this morning. Uh, and plenty more to unpack and plenty more to preview coming up this weekend on the other side of this. Welcome back to the EPL show on FNR Football Nation Radio. I think I might have the hang of it this time. Mm -hmm. Slowly, slowly fading, slowly fading. And we're there. Uh, DJ Husey on the decks. Yeah. Well, like I said, Dr. Dre, Super Bowl, I feel inspired. I've, uh, I've, I've found my second calling. It only took you four years to learn how to panel. <laughs> well, and you had a break in the middle, in I, fairness. I, and I got, I got to be shown. It's not, <laughs> not my fault. I'm, po- I'm, po- I'm out here pointing fingers. <laughs> um, Premier League. That's what we're here to talk about. Uh, yep. Manchester United and Brighton uh, were the only game this morning. Uh, and the only game uh, since the weekend, mind you. Um, interesting that they scheduled this on a, a Champions League morning. I would have had, I had no idea that it was on until I um, was. I was just on Instagram actually, and I saw the uh, the Brighton starting lineup uh, graphic come up. But uh, a two 0 win it was in the end for Manchester United. Cristiano Ronaldo finally uh, broke his goal scoring drought. I think it was going around. It was uh, six games without a goal, which was his longest run in. 11 years or, or yeah, yeah some uh, long amount of time and uh, a nice little connection uh, in, the, in the games going on at the same time in the morning uh, of course Messi missed a penalty and then a minute later Cristiano Ronaldo scored a, a very nice goal uh, as well at the Stretford end uh, at Old Trafford but uh, Josh I assume you watched uh, I was glued to the Champions League, mate. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I can tell you what's going on with Manchester United without watching. That's how, <laughs> that's how predictable the problems have become. Uh, no, I did have a look at the highlights. Uh, I thought Scott McTominay was absolutely abject in this game. I know he got an assist, but to have that guy as your first choice defensive midfielder still, I mean, he just, he just can't play make at all. You know, he's all hustle and bustle and energy, and if he's pressing high... Uh, you know, he's a big unit. He looks all right. But, gee, that guy t- taking every fiber of his being to telegraph like a five-yard pass sideways, <laughs> just it, may, it really hurts. Like, just, talk about football-challenged footballers. <laughs> he's just an athlete. He's uh, yeah. He's got wheels. He's got an engine. But... Oh, I just he just frustrates me. I just don't think he can operate at the that level when you're trying to create against a team who's come to defend. Yeah, exactly. He's a, he's a curious one, Scott McTominay. You do wonder what the future of his career sort of looks like because he is still very young. He's well, he's 25, so still plenty of football ahead of him. Uh, and you'd imagine that Manchester United would probably demand and probably get uh, or, or find a club that would be willing to spend quite a high fee uh, for someone like him. You know, you think uh, 30 million pounds, uh, Newcastle might come in. Um, or, or or someone like that, one of those sort of lower end Premier League clubs. But uh, it was the the uh, curious case, I guess you could call it, of McFred. They were back in action this morning. Um, I think everyone thought Ralph Ranick coming in. Everyone thought, ah, oh, Donny's going to start. Jaden Sancho is going to get back to his best. Of course, Donny's left. He's kind of on loan to uh, to Everton. Jaden Sancho is doing no better necessarily, and McFred is uh, is is still a thing. Interested to. I have a chat about Ranić because when he was when he was hired, 
I think a lot of people, which I think may, maybe is, you know, just a, maybe a Manchester United thing. You think, okay, they've made that change. They've got rid of Oli, you know, now we'll slowly start to see things turn around. But I did wonder if it might have been a bit premature to to sort of be excited about it because you look at Ralph Rannick's managerial history and he doesn't he doesn't even really have a managerial history necessarily. He's been mostly in sporting director or technical director type roles and he hadn't actually coached for a handful of years. So I did wonder coming back not only to senior management but to a club and a, a job that Manchester United is at the moment in trying to turn that around. I did wonder if there would be some hiccups. And now there's already plenty of talk, you know, Sky Sports, pundits, etc., saying that, you know, Ralph Rannick, he's, he's signed and he's he's going to coach out the rest of the season and he's got that advisor role. But already some calls to say, you know, just pack it up. Don't even bother um, going upstairs for the next two years because it's just not working. Well, yeah, I mean, so this game obviously coming for United after back-to-back draws with Burnley and Southampton. And Mm. last week, Josh and I spoke a bit about the Burnley game and Josh made the point of kind of imagine this were an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer performance. What would would we be thinking about that? And the more I've thought about that and the more I've watched United, I kind of, I, I really get where that's coming from in the sense of what's really changed, what's actually different in this United team, kind of lots of the same problems seem to exist. There are significant periods of the game where United just don't look impressive at all. There's a distinct lack of cohesion. I think out of possession in particular, they look really pedestrian a lot of the time. I mean, you think uh, the the goal that they conceded against Southampton at the weekend where El Yunusi was just given so much space in between the midfield and defence right in front of the goal and that that led to it. And that kind of thing is still happening. And, And and I, I am struggling up to this point to, to understand what's, what's changed. What's meant? To, what, what are the problems that are meant to have been fixed? I mean, you mentioned Jaden Sancho. He's had a slight uptake in form, I think, in the last couple of weeks, kind of contributing a bit more. We've seen more of a player like Anthony Alanga and all those kinds mm. of things. But, but the problems at United are still very much there. Harry Maguire still is having <laughs> some really poor performances. Not to blame it all on him, but that that that's still not working. You know. The, how Ronaldo fits into the system still isn't entirely clear. And we're getting to the point where you'd expect to see some kind of product from, from Ragnick and, and to see some of what he's trying to implement change in this team. I think you just pinpointed the only two changes that Ragnick has really made from the previous regime in terms of selection is Sancho getting more minutes and uh, Alanga suddenly mm. being plucked out of the reserves. Um and does that move the needle? I mean, I obviously want Sancho to start. I mean, who wouldn't start Jaden Sancho apart from Oli, I guess? <laughs> uh, like he's the most, he's the smartest player on the pitch when United uh, play, or at least the smartest player in their 11. Uh, but, you know, uh, I wonder whether the structure is in place for players like that to really move the needle and make an impact because Sancho's a guy who doesn't freelance. He's not really a, a hugely impressive athlete in terms of his burst of pace necessarily compared to other wingers or his capacity to press you know he's sort of league average in that capacity Mm. it's his technical ability and his kind of imagination in moving off the ball and having quick short passes and quick combinations with players that's just not part of Manchester United's game plan Mm. they don't have an incorporative center forward Uh, they don't have uh 
really ability to generate too many chances off the press because not all of the players are actually up to it in terms of, you know, the way that Liverpool's players are, for example. Everyone is kind of buying into the same system and putting in a superlative work rate to suffocate teams. I just don't see where the improvement is going to come from with this manager unless he has a transfer window to reshape the squad uh, to his in his image, I suppose. Um, and he was always going to be in a, a very awkward fit when you've got a guy with this very defined philosophy coming into a squad that has almost none of the players mm. required to carry it out. Yeah, I think people, <clears throat> excuse me, when he was hired, people thought, Straight away, uh, you know, Gegenpress is coming to Old Trafford, but you're exactly right. You have to look at the tools that any manager has at their disposal, and there is very few, if any, players that can play that really effective Gegenpress style in that in that Manchester United team. And and you've I, also got to work out what to do when you have the ball as well. Yeah, absolutely. That strategy is all about when you lose the ball. So what do you do when you've got it? And United <laughs> consistently struggle against teams that actually allow them possession. And they they have under Solskjaer um, and they continue to have that issue. And I think the most functional they've looked is with Edinson Cavani up front. Yeah, absolutely. But Cristiano Ronaldo, his reputation and the money that they're paying him and his ego and so forth doesn't take kindly to being substituted, doesn't take kindly to coming off the bench. So... Essentially, this is an Ed Woodward problem. Um, you know, I'm, I don't agree with the decision to send Donny van der Beek out on loan. I think that was a terrible call. But um, that aside, I don't really see what else Ranić could be doing. Yeah. I, th- I mean, it's hard when there, there certainly is, seems to be a number of issues in a number of departments of the club. Uh, it's hard to... Yeah, necessarily pinpoint one person or one area, or or, or blame uh, one person or one area necessarily. I think it's it's going to be a, a very interesting uh, summer at at Manchester United, seeing how they can. Well, firstly, seeing how they finish this season because there there's certainly no guarantee at the moment to be playing Champions League next season. They're probably going to go another season trophyless. Well, they've only got the Premier League and the Champions League left, and very unlikely that they win either of those, uh, of course. So if they're not playing top four, um, you look at who they bring in as the manager in the summer, you look at who they could potentially sign in the summer, you look at the existing squad. You know, guys like, I don't expect Marcus Rashford to leave, but he's obviously been much maligned this season. The fans have been getting on his back recently. What happens to him going forward? You know, Cristiano Ronaldo, you mentioned Edison Cavani. I assume his contract is up and... He probably wouldn't be there next year, but Ronaldo's a year older. It's It feels like it, it could be a, a bit of a, a sort of turning point summer for the club. So, like, it's... I suppose we can stand here and accept that, you know, the problems lie deeper than, you know, a couple months of change and whatever philosophy Ralph Ragnick wants to impose, and that's kind of largely the idea that we got was, was you know, this person's going to then transition to a behind-the-scenes figure to change some broader structural things at United... My problem is, I mean, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Josh, when you're when you're saying how how what could Ragnik achieve with the players that he's gotten, but what's been so apparent across the league in the last say couple of months is how teams have responded 
when they've had a new manager, like even if it's just mm. for, a, for a short period of time, you just see this burst of energy. I mean, whether, whether that's Villa with Stevie G, whether that's even Everton with Frank Lampard, whether that's Newcastle with Eddie Howe, we've just seen these teams that, you know, even if it's not entirely clear how structurally things are changing, the players have been invigorated and they've kind of responded in some way to the change. Whilst that's felt so much less evident at United, and I, I, I kind of, you know, is that a problem with the playing group rather than than anything else? Like, what's going? What the, if you talk about the leadership or the 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 personalities in that in the dressing room? Why haven't we seen kind of anything remotely of that calibre or, or of that style of change from United? I mean, I'd make a similar criticism of Tottenham, to be fair, <laughs> but. But we, 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 some teams seem to be responding and other teams don't is where, where I'm getting at. And United haven't responded really seemingly at all to, to the change. Well, I'm not sure the players really like Ranić for starters. Mm. I'm not sure the players are getting clear direction on the training pitch because they've got about 30 staff members. Have you seen their bench lately? Yeah. They've kept like all of the staff members from the previous regime and then brought in all of Ralph's goons. And it's just... <laughs> Chock a block now, and like I don't see how that's productive. I heard a rumor that the players had the nickname for for Ragnik's assistant as like Ted Lasso or something. Or <laughs> yeah, something like yes, that, I saw know? that. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I yeah, I I don't I don't think the message is really getting through. Is like I don't think that really any manager, barring the top few in the world, would come into this dysfunctional a uh, group of players, this uh, incongruous a set of players and immediately turn things around via tactical improvements. But as you say, from a kind of motivation perspective, the players want to see that things are going to improve. They want to believe in a project. Mm. It just doesn't seem like anyone's bought into this no. this thing. Like it does, doesn't seem like, well, I mean, there's one man who sets the dressing room culture at United now. It's the man who's bigger than the club, quite literally, Cristiano Ronaldo, by any kind of social media metric, <laughs> is much bigger than the club and, and dominates the headlines more than any... Uh, Manchester United club themed news could ever ca- uh, could ever hope to so he he kind of dictates by reputation by through the media uh, the club culture and it doesn't seem to me like Cristiano Ronaldo gives a toss what Ralph Ranić has to say yeah. they've been really frosty between those two and I think it was a big mistake signing Ronaldo and I I do have a um great deal of sympathy, especially now for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, whereas I don't think he was quite up to it, but was he the problem? He wanted a defensive midfielder in the summer and they hmm. bought him a, a completely superfluous striker <laughs> on massive wages who's past his best and you have to play him. That's that's a burden for any manager to bear, uh, but I don't think Ranić's done any better on that front than, than Solskjaer did. I mean, if you want to talk about incongruity within the club, the, as as you've rightly identified, kind of on the one hand, you've got Ronaldo, this short-term super megastar, social media, all, all the things that come with Ronaldo. And then on the other hand, this appearance of structural long-term change and sustainability with the form of Ragnik transitioning to an, an adversary. An adversarial role, or an, an it might be an adversarial yeah, role. Yeah. Can, can, I mean, he's not going to be the technical director. No. So if he's not got final say <laughs> on the true. signings, what the hell is the point? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they've still got a banker in charge. It's just Ed Woodward, Mark Two, uh, making the decisions around there. So yeah. I don't see really how it helps. The one thing he has done to give him some credit is 
United are a little more solid defensively. Just in the yeah, last sure. kind of month or so, sure. they've conceded far fewer goals than they were under Solskjaer, particularly at the tail end of his reign. Mm. But they're still insipid to watch. They really yeah. are. Like, and it comes down, I think, largely to the midfield, as it does in most teams. Um, but, you know, they uh, immediately, first opportunity, first time of asking, in a January transfer window, sent their best central midfielder away to <laughs> Everton. So... We played an excellent game for Everton at the weekend, by the way, as well. Just there you go. Just to, just to rub salt in my wounds, Oscar. I think we have to stop talking about this, otherwise yeah, I'm going to be think, too depressed yeah, by the end of the show. I, I think we'll move on. Um, not going to lie, guys, I have no idea what incongruous means, but I, I loved hearing you both say it. It's, um, yeah, so hats off to you for that one. Um, who should we talk about? You, uh, you mentioned Newcastle and the... As one of those teams that have sort of had that bounce back uh, in terms of managerial change, and we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how all of a sudden the the relegation battle looked slightly interesting because Norwich had got themselves out of the bottom three, um, and then we were waiting to see what uh, Burnley's signings might do, what uh, or signing uh, singular mm-hmm. in in the workhorse Valt Verkost, uh, who had a fantastic debut against Manchester United, of course. Um, we were waiting to see what Newcastle signings were going to do. Uh, and it turns out that I think the Magpies, you know, obviously helped by the, the cash injection, have uh, seemingly recruited very well. Kieran, Tri- Kieran Trippi has come in. Oh, what a two, signing. It's yeah. amazing. Two free kicks. Unfortunately, he's, uh, of course, broken his metatarsal and will miss probably uh, uh, the next two or three months. If um, he doesn't play again this season, he's already done his job. He's, yeah, exactly. He's For a relegation-threatened team to basically win them two, two games, games yep. is unbelievable. What a return for a right-back. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, harkening back to the, the 2018 World Cup and his, uh, his free-kick prowess. But I, I, I mentioned, you know, two weeks ago and, and just said before as well that we thought the relegation battle was looking interesting, but now it sort of isn't again. Newcastle are... Four points clear of the drop zone with a game in hand on Norwich. Um, Watford, a, a basket case, and Burnley still just on the one win all season. So, I mean, Newcastle, it's it does feel a little bit like Man City 2.0. Well, well, just to comment on Eddie Howe and how impressive that is, I mean, if you want to talk about a manager who's come into a really difficult situation in terms of the players, like, like the 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 potential disconnect between players and management and fans and, mm. and you know, these players going, am I, I'm probably not going to be here next year. What am I playing for? What's, what am I doing here kind of thing? For him to motivate not only the players that he's brought in like Kieran Trippier, but then also the players that were already there to kind of raise their game, I think is hugely impressive and I'm not really sure how he's done it. Um, so, so I think Eddie Howe deserves absolute credit for that. Just on the, the, the relegation battle, I think Burnley have maybe just kept it slightly interesting with a couple of good performances against United and Liverpool. They've kind of shown yep. a bit of something-something. You mentioned Verkhorst obviously missed a lot of chances against Liverpool, but mm. he looks like he could be really good for them. Um, yeah. I think he, he he just the way he's involved in the play and he's, you know, we, we spoke about how he personifies Burnley. <laughs> yeah, he, he has all of the Burnley characteristics with a little bit of extra mobility sprinkled on top, which yeah. I think w- will really help them. Yeah, and they obviously have the games in hands on the team, the, the games in hand on the team, the games in hand, yes, that one, on the teams around them. <laughs> yeah, 21, um, Watford 23 games, uh, Norwich 24, and Newcastle 23 games played as well. So I'm I'm looking higher up, even as high as like a team like Brentford, who've really been through a bit of a rough patch in recent weeks. Um, They got 
I think is the shine worn off that that team? They I started think. so well, and it seems like everyone's figured them out, and maybe the squad depth hasn't quite been there. And... I mean, I saw someone make the comparison to Blackpool at some point. Just yeah, that. that's yeah, a, that's good a good point. Good, good, good shout. Actually, even that that whole city season. Remember when Giovanni scored that screamer at the Emirates, and then everyone thought they were going to be in. They, they were they were in the top four in December, and then almost got relegated and got relegated the season after. But it's um it's a that's a really good um comparison to make uh, about Brentford. It's and yeah, I think one to a good um, a good note that they could well fall into that relegation trap because again, you look at games in hand, and I think it's it's easy to look at the table and you know do all that sort of mathematical gymnastics to say, oh, if this team wins all their games in hand, I mean, Western United, we're sort of doing that in the in the A League <laughs> men as well at the moment, given uh, all, all the. Um, oh, it's every fan does it. Yeah. I mean, you look at the amount of games that you've played less than your opposition and you yeah. mentally add three points for every yeah, game. Exactly. Like, oh, we'll win those. Which, of course, not, not even looking at the opposition that you're about <laughs> to play. Exactly. And particularly talking about these relegation teams like Burnley, they have four games in hand against Brentford, like good on them, but they've won one game all season. Mm. So it's, um, but, you know, with this new Veghorst led attack, um, although he did get himself a little hurt again uh, in the Liverpool game, I, I haven't seen. Uh, if he's going to be ruled out, or or if so, for how long? Um, but yeah, I, I think Newcastle are the the story of that um, that sort of bottom pack because you look at um, just on the the Google table, they always give you the the last five games in form, and there's plenty of X's around from even from eleventh place Leicester downwards, uh, but no X's in Newcastle's last five. That's three wins in a row uh, with two draws prior to that. They've dug themselves out of what was looking like a, a, a relatively deep hole uh, pre-January. Um, and, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's good as well, Oscar, that you mentioned Eddie Howe because I think he has done a great job. I I, I was a bit critical of him when, when he ended up at Bournemouth um, because I just felt like, you know... The, they sort of rode that fun, promoted team, Bournemouth. They played some nice stuff in the in the early couple of seasons with Josh King, Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser. You know, sort of vibrant, counter-attacking, lots of pace. And then I feel like it, it just went downhill very quickly and he didn't do much to to change it. And, and I always wondered, you know, whenever a Premier League job became open again and there were all these links, you know, Everton, Arsenal, England national team, Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe. And I always sort of thought, oh, I don't know what the big deal is about this guy. But seems to be doing a, a very good job at, at Newcastle and looks like he'll keep them up. He'll have another $100 million plus to spend in the summer. And I mean... And it's uh, cha-ching for Liverpool as they sell all their uh, <laughs> fringe English youngsters for ridiculous fees. Yeah, we're imagining in five years we look back at this and go, look at how how excited we were by the by Newcastle, you know, clinging on and surviving and stuff. And we're going to be so upset in five years when we go. Uh, Remember how that... when it was fresh when Newcastle <laughs> were winning games, they're going to be like so miserable. Well, that's yeah. well, that's that's why I said earlier. It does feel like Man City two point when it's because I I remember I was. I can't remember the exact year when Sheikh Mansour took over, but I was probably nine or ten years old. It was old 08, and, I think. Yeah, eight years old. I, probably, I would have been then at the time. And, you know, they signed Rubinho, and then a couple of years later, like, you know, it starts small. They got Gareth Barry and uh, Bal- Gareth Balotelli Barry. and Carlos Tevez, and then it got to Aguero and Yaya Toure. And the, it was and David Silva. It was, it was fun. Like, I, I've got a couple of Man City jerseys 
from back in the day of, of, of some of those old ones. And of course, before they, they became your sworn enemies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and of course, they they win that Premier League title, which was just incredible on the final day. And of course, no one likes them anymore, it, it, unless you know they're their own fans. But and it it, it feels like this a similar thing might happen to Newcastle. But I think I think I'm a bit more switched on now to. <laughs> to not quite uh, fully embed myself into the hype. If Newcastle signed Gareth Barry, I'm 100% <laughs> behind them all the way. Like, Come out of retirement. That, that, will, that will... How old is he these days? They will have my heart if they do that. <laughs> that would be spectacular. Well, James Milner might... Um, might catch him in the appearances, so he might have to, to come yeah. back. He's 40 years old. I'm sure he could still do it at a high level. Yeah. Just um, just tack on another 20 games or so so Milner can't catch him. Who's, who's going to be the uh, peripheral Liverpool young player that uh, Eddie Howe buys for too much money? Who's going to be the the Nick, new Dom Solanke? Nico or, Williams. Yeah? Tw- oh, no, well, no, they just signed. They just bought they just um, sold him, Kieran Trippier. So. Well, he's on loan at Fulham now. Oh, sorry, on but, loan. Um, yeah, they just bought Kieran Trippier, so they're not, not going to be buying a right back. Who was that would, centre would back? Loved that them got... to get, would have loved them to get Nat Phillips instead of he's uh, on loan instead of Dan Byrne. They signed Dan Byrne in the summer, of course. So they've already um, filled their quota for gawky Englishmen. Yeah, yeah <laughs> tall, uncoordinated, uh, big headers of the ball. Who was that other centre back that got so many minutes? Reese uh, Williams. Reese Williams. That's it. Mm. Of course, I always forget about him because he's got the same name as the Australian player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like his identity has been subsumed <laughs> yeah. in my head. But uh, I, I, I imagine as a Liverpool fan, you'll be uh, licking your lips. So for Eddie Howe's hundred million pound transfer kitty, yeah, still love. Um, what was it? Three of them: Jordan Ibe, Jordan Brad, Ibe was Brad, the player. Even Brad, Brad Smith fetched, I think, eight million pounds. That's um, I mean that I, Solanke as look, well. Australian and all, I'll barrack for him if he pulls out a soccer's jersey. But that's daylight robbery. <laughs> that one. I'm just Keith. imagining it's such a universal experience to have had Liverpool's Reese Williams kind of blurred in your memory because <laughs> you know Western Sydney Wanderers captain is kind of. Come, come to the fore. I think that's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm too far down the A-League rabbit hole. Yeah. I think that's what it tells you. But, uh, yeah, Newcastle, uh, doing well under Eddie Howe. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, they are. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to use the word excited because you're exactly right. In five years' time, we're all going to be on our high horses saying, oh, Newcastle, mm. you know. But I mean, it's. I think it's, we're a bit more fun. aware kind of, of the, I guess, ethical issues we yes. could take over now than we probably were in 2008. Is that fair to say? For sure. With, with Man City? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, as unethical and um, not ideal as it is, um, it is. It'll be a bit of fun to see. You know, some some quality players. In the very short term, it is unquestionably good for the league to have yeah. more competitive teams. Absolutely. It's just, uh, it's just a complete indictment on the state of modern football that you yeah. have to be taken over by a tyrannical regime and have yeah. state money pumped into your club in order to do that. And it, and it feels slightly better as well, given this time around, that it's Newcastle, a, a big club that have had sort of big history in domestic and European competitions, whereas Man City felt... And sort of still feels to this day a, oh, a lot more man, a lot more manufactured. I think that's harsh. I mean, maybe it is. Uh, maybe that's my millennial brain. I think that's. <laughs> I mean, they were a big team. You know, they've got a lot of. They had a lot of like 
rusted on fans before. Yeah, takeover. yeah, but uh, yeah, that's um, that's not very fair on the on the Simon Hills and the. I I, I think their current set of supporters who completely unquestioningly back like CFG to the hilt, regardless of evidence to the contrary, uh, like have got serious brainworms. But you know, <laughs> that but the I've I've sympathised when you know something happens that's totally beyond your control and you just yes. want to support your team. Yeah. And they're going sure. to be better, so you're going to be happy about it. Yeah. So anyway, that's a topic for No, you, you, you're right. Another I'll, day. I, I, I see your comment and I fold. Acknowledge your bias. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, yes, exactly. I, I'll, I'll fold my hand. Uh, this weekend's action, uh, what do we got? Anything fun? Uh, Man City Tottenham looks okay on uh, the Sunday morning. Um Tottenham sort of had that reputation for the, uh, a couple of years ago of being that uh, that bogey team from Man City. Obviously, we mentioned that Champions League quarterfinal tie. Uh, I think in the league, did Mourinho do the double over them in the nineteen twenty season? I think from memory. Um, of course, at the start of the yeah of season, the yeah. Uh, opening day this season uh, without Harry Kane. Mm. Uh, of course, they got the win. So. Could potentially be interesting. I mean, again, every time we look at a Man City or I look at a Man City game, I'm thinking, oh, could they could they drop points for uh, for Liverpool? And and more out of out of hope than any sort of common sense. I um uh, I hope that they'll do it. But I um again stick to my uh, very blatant uh, disdain for for the football that Tottenham play uh, currently, and I think Man City will. Um, Probably walk over them. We're going to talk about West Ham, the Kurt Zuma thing, getting dropped after mm. the fact. Yeah, illness. yeah, illness. Yeah, pre-game suspicious. Yeah, don't you think the 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 reaction to the backlash is? Uh, I mean, surely Moyes just should have dropped him in the first place. Yeah, it would have been the the, the sensible PR thing to do if if for no other reason to just yeah. Is it? Is there? All right, just, this is a crazy devil's advocate route to take, but <laughs> is there a little bit of cognitive dissonance in the fact that, I mean, you eat meat? Yeah. <laughs> what? Where is this going? Yeah, no, no, is yes, go yes, the, yes, I do. Stay pro, with me. I do. With a pro-animal abuse. Yeah, I yet. also do. I'm, I can't really get up on my high horse about animal rights, in uh, all honesty, right. with, you know, factory farm. Etc. 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 But like, I mean, I guess there's a difference in doing it for out of boredom and sport as opposed to like food. But yeah, this wasn't the direction this I thought is, we were going. This is the EPL show on FNR Football well, Nation Radio, brought, brought to you by Peter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking that I was watching Graham Soonis uh, decry this. Oh yeah, he did nothing wrong. No, 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 no. He, he was he was disgusted by Kurt Zuma's behaviour. I, I wonder so whether he, was he, saying w- that he said the cat did nothing wrong. Oh, yeah. Funny way of playing, like, <laughs> did, all right, that, did he say that? Yeah. <laughs> funny. I mean, as if the cat had, could possibly have. Anyway, as if the cat doing something wrong would just whatever. <laughs> but honestly, like I, I think uh, Graham Soonis is one of the only people in English football who can get on his high horse about uh. this because he is a vegan. Which actually? I was astonished oh, wow. to find out. Uh, Graham Soonis is the last person I'd associate <laughs> with <too>. veganism. <laughs> but there you go. That's funny as. He apparently is an animal lover and feels very strongly about this. Just, who, oh, fantastic. Props to Graham Soonis putting his, uh, you know, money in his mouth is, is the wrong expression, but uh, yeah. living by what he preaches, yeah. let's say. So we're saying this is a, a concocted roundabout scheme from the Premier League to promote a pro-animal rights agenda? 
Uh, I think that's a little too tinfoil height oh, from what I was going sorry, yes, I, I've, There's been a lie yeah, that I've too, evidently too, crossed. Too far, Oscar. Yeah, sorry, I'm so sorry. But, I mean, there's been all this like whataboutery about it. I've been really fascinated by this reaction. Honestly, I've paid more attention to the fallout from this than I had to any of the matches. Like Mikel Antonio uh, with a sort of... Yeah, a the, Socratic dialogue from his car window <laughs> on the subject. Yeah, is this worse and, than racism? Yes, yeah, that which was, was the strangest yeah. uh, comparison. Like no one, no one brought up racism, Mikhail. <laughs> um, it, very uh, odd kind of water battery tactics to you know to Graham Sooners's reaction to Moy saying you know I've got three points to win on the weekend and that's yeah. My priority I, th- I thought and, his his demeanor and his comments in particular were were very odd. In the in the couple of press conferences that he had, and then it, it was the the first one because it was it was like straight away they played and Zuma started against was it Leicester? Watford. I think it, Watford. Ah, that's right. And um, it was Leicester. He was dropped for. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. And in the Watford game, that was when he he got fouled yeah. or he got someone kicked him, and the fans the were chanting, yeah. "That's how your cat feels" or yeah. something like that. Um, it was, and then. It took to the second game for them to ask him about it again, and then he said he sort of um, showed more, I guess, um, what's the word, like disgust, I guess, with Zuma's actions and said, you know, he's been fined two weeks by the club and um, RSPCA are taking him through. Uh, yeah, that's like the, the, the edge, back, haven't the, they? They have, yes. Yeah. And yeah, they're the, also the, taking animals him... Animals been rescued, which yeah. is the most important thing. Yeah. But, and they're also taking him through... Um, Supposedly, you know, those education classes like you do mm. when you get a speeding fine or you get mm. caught drink driving or whatever it is. But, yeah, I just, I just found David Moyes real bizarre. I, I did find the, the fallout, like, it always always happens with this kind of thing that it, in, it inspires such, like, an emotional, visceral online reaction. Yeah. Always, I feel like, goes beyond the bounds of reasonability, like... When you've got Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, on TV saying he's disappointed in David Moyes, I feel like, <laughs> isn't there more important things you should be attending to, Sadiq? Like, yeah, I know the poor cat, but like, I don't know, it, it transcended the bounds of football. Yeah. I, I guess the problem I had with it is uh, when everyone's up there soapboxing, they're showing off how upstanding and moral they are. Yeah. And yeah, we did it a little bit last week. Like, mm. what a terrible thing for West Ham to do mm. to blame and, and et cetera and so on. And, we'll, and you know, the video, the footage was really shocking and everything. But as the Saudi regime takes over a Premier League club, yeah, exactly. And yeah, um, yeah I, I just, I, I just have a few reflections on that. Like, yeah. how important is this in the grand scheme of things? Yes, he should have been dropped and fined. I don't know what the appropriate penalty is, but the pile on is always like. It, it always gets to a, a point of critical mass where yeah. you kind of start to worry a little bit about the player's mental health and so forth when literally the entirety of the UK is like coming to his door with pitchforks essentially. And it's almost, yeah. as you said, like a source of of deflection even, just away from kind of bigger issues. Like if, if you want to talk about the greater atrocities within the Premier League, like kicking the cat actually isn't at the top of the list to, to be completely realistic so that it's kind of a if we make this stand really firm in this instance then we kind of can cover our backs for a it's while. kind of these storms in a teacup that preoccupy yeah. the media cycle is what mm. i'm saying so anyway yeah i i have a cat 
I don't kick it. <laughs> and in fact, I, I very much care for the cat. So, you know, I'm not in favor. I'm not, in fa- I'm not coming out in favor of cat kicking. I just, uh, it was kind of a line I was treading there, but it was, it was a nuanced kind of thing. Anyway, whatever. overall moral of the story is dogs are better than cats, and we'll leave it there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, Premier League action this weekend. Uh, Man City Tottenham, as we mentioned, a Midlands derby with uh, Wolves and Leicester. Leeds and Manchester United, that's the one that you know, all of last season we were talking about, those games being in lockdown, Leeds finally back in the Premier League, that derby with Manchester United. Mm. Uh, so there'll finally be fans at Ellen Road for that one. Uh, I think the Wolves-Leicester is really interesting in the sense that Wolves, mm. they're, they're a team that kind of we haven't spoken about and they often go under the radar for how well they've performed in the last kind of few months in particular. They're so solid and they've you know, brought it right to teams like Liverpool and Man City and kind of been unlucky in a few situations. So they're they're in the race for the top four really. They've been they've been really excellent and, and I think that makes it a really interesting game against Leicester who are having their own problems, aren't they, with yeah with their own form. Massively, yeah. And and Bruno still don't know how to say his surname Large La Lager. Lager. Lager, I think. Lager? Okay. Yep. Um I'm I'm gonna say that because, you know, Beers on the terrace. Yeah, kind of <laughs> yeah um, I'm going to call him that anyway. He's uh, <laughs> Bruno loves a lager. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I love it. Um, he's he's been super impressive as uh, as manager. I think you know Wolves. It, you can sort of make these jokes about their Portuguese affiliations, and they sign a uh, to the you know the probably blinkered Premier League fan or top six European League fan. They probably think you know who's this guy? Is just some other Portuguese guy to come in and. And coach Wolves, but he's done a great job. Um, they they continue to recruit very well. Um, big ups for them to um, getting rid of Adama Traore because he's just such an eyesore to watch. All that power and pace, and then he crosses the ball over everyone's head and out for a throw in. It's, it's just so he's, he's so infuriating. against on his, on his debut, that was very nice. Yeah, <laughs> but he's, he's still rubbish. He's, he's playing pretty well. That's the thing. Yeah, well, he's. He started well. Has been at Barca, well, yeah. But I mean, I've. He's so. I, I don't the know. The problem I have with him is that the entire. It's similar, actually, in a totally different way to the problem that I have with Cristiano Ronaldo at the moment. Like in like late career, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Is if you start them, the entire team becomes about them. Yeah, that's very true. They sort of dominate to an extent. Uh, Adama Traore because he always gets the ball and dribbles and puts his head down and it just becomes the Adama Traore show. And Ronaldo because he's sort of the, the entire uh, service to him is dictated by his preferences and the way he kind of hangs at the back post waiting for the ball instead of, you know, playing simple passes back to the midfield and things like that, you know. Yeah. Um, but in totally different ways, I, I think you become one-dimensional with Adama Traore in your team. Yeah. But, but Barca are in such a shape that the, it probably doesn't matter for them, hmm. you know. Whereas yeah, true. And yeah. if he finds a little bit of end product, he could be one of the best players in the world. No, absolutely, and that and that's what I've what I've always said, and why he infuriates me so much is because his dribbling and the mix of pace and strength is nothing I've seen before. Mm. And if if he just had even a slightly better final pass or composure in the final third, think of how much damage he could do. That one season where it connected. For him uh, in the 2019-20 season, when he ran Man City ragged um, in both games, when Wolves did the double over them, and he was just so dangerous. And then since then, he seems to have gone back downhill again. You know, he was getting in the the Spanish national team. I think he still does on the odd occasion. Yeah, anyway. he was in the Euro squad he was in the, anyway. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, he's he's so infuriating to watch for me because I feel like he could be so good, but then it's just that that final moment that lets him down. But it, but with Wolves, I mean, how how important is the return of Raúl Jiménez to yeah. their I guess revival because his head injury, I think their downward trajectory from where they were, I think almost entirely corresponds to Raúl Jiménez's presence in the team and his fitness. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, absolutely. I think that that's that, that they lack goals really. So to have someone who's reliable with that is so important to them because they're built on such a solid defensive foundation. I mean, we've seen the likes of Connor mm. Cody and Max Kilman really excel this season. So I think Raúl Jiménez to kind of provide that that attacking structure or that 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 player that you can build the rest of your attack around or bounce off. I think that's really essential for Wolves. He's kind of a pivot up front. Yeah. Like he, he takes the ball in his chest really nicely, he plays into his feet, plays a quick little pass running behind. You've got the likes of Pedence and Neves kind of running around mm. him, kind of creating havoc and, and all that kind of thing. So I think, you know, the kind of striker that he is, it, it works really well with how Wolves want to play and how his other teammates kind of want to create opportunities for him. And it's interesting that they've done all of this largely without Pedro Neto, who I always thought was probably beside him in as one of, if not their best, well, certainly best attackers. And oh, he was supposed in, to be in the general one of the successor best successor to Jota, I suppose. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I was um, a massive fan of him. I thought he had a great, uh, great year last year in particular. Um, and you know, he hasn't really been in the in the in the picture. Obviously, they. Have uh, Trincao on loan. Uh, interesting, they without Traore, and you know they experimented with Patrick Catroni and, and you know who and, I like. Whoever else, Pedence. That's what I was. Yeah. yeah, interesting that he's rather than sort of being that left sided player, he's mm-hmm. now starting to pair up in a, he's a, a jet, two up man. top yeah. with. He's Jimenez. like the Muggsy Bogues of the Premier League. <laughs> They sail over your head no, there. Sorry, uh, no, Isaiah not Th- uh, basketball at all. No, Isaiah sorry. Thomas maybe. Muggsy Bogues was like five foot three, right. <laughs> and he was very good at basketball. Okay. I think about the same height as Daniel Pedence actually. Maybe even maybe Pedence might be even shorter. He's one of the smallest totally. players in the league, and that is going to count against you in the Premier League, generally speaking. But he he, he pops up in areas and uh, almost runs through players' legs. He's so yeah. slippery. Yeah. You, you're right. Sorry, just to to fact check your claim, Muggsy Bogues one sixty centimeters, uh, wow. Pedence one sixty five. So oh, very wow. very close. Okay, that's sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, but well, just back to Wolves. Sorry, <laughs> sorry for for you know distracting us all the time and wanting to talk about <laughs> the actual league. football. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Um, they've also got Huang Hee Chan there, who's um come yeah. back on and permanent. I think now. Yeah. Um, so that provides another dimension. Of kind of, he, he's obviously kind of more of a powerful runner kind of thing, so whether they can incorporate that in the way that they want to play or at least he provides a degree of kind of flexibility, a variety in that Wolves attack. So it, like obviously it's very easy to be highly complimentary when things are going well, but it just, they look like a well-oiled machine and like they've got the basics right and that they're building on that and Bruno Lager's doing a really great job and, and they're getting the rewards in, in terms of their points, although yeah. they're not even always getting those rewards. Like, there have mm. been games where they could have come away with more, and they started the season really slowly. So for them to is, to be in the position that they are, kind of so competitive, speaks something about the teams around them and the fact that there haven't been enough really good teams this yeah. season, but also is an absolute credit to them, and I think Leicester will be another really interesting test. Um, but they're, they're totally in a shout for European football. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think you're exactly right. It's a, it's a massive credit to them because you've... 
you sort of felt like after Nuno left and after they had a pretty poor season last year, you felt like maybe that, quite similar to Bournemouth, uh, how mm. I mentioned before, they had those couple of seasons after they got promoted where they were fantastic. Obviously, Wolves, when they first... The first season they were back in the Premier League, they came seventh. And the next season they made the... Um, the Europa League semi-finals, and yeah. everyone thinking, oh, you know, that they're going to be that staple top half, best of the rest sort of side. Then last year it didn't quite work out for them. Nuno goes, and you think, oh, maybe this is the beginning of the end, and they might sort of slowly fall and do a Bournemouth that ends up back in the championship in a handful of years. But um, Bruno Lager's come in and, and made sure that uh, none of that happens at all. And uh, that's probably uh, where we can leave it, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, anything else from you, Oscar, that you wanted to get off your chest about English football this week? I, I watched a little bit of the Wayne Rooney documentary we are talking about. Last <laughs> I got really sick of Thierry Henry going, these guys, oh, wow, wow, this guy, look at him. Did he wow. say, ooh, blame <laughs> I I don't know. There's there's only so much Thierry Henry I can take in my life, to be honest. I find him quite annoying. But uh, when he's speaking, obviously on the pitch, he was unbelievable. But, yeah. Uh, well, uh, just, just ask Hayden Fox. We, uh, yeah. we heard from on the green room just yeah. before. Yeah, <laughs> impossible to mark. Invincible, as he called yes. it. Yes, uh, absolutely. As was the team he, he played in. But I, I also think um, Gary Neville was quite good on it, sort of cutting through a little bit of the Rooney hype um, uh, because it obviously is like quite a flattering portrayal of his career. <laughs> yeah. um, in some respects, I haven't seen the whole thing, but uh, in some respects it's some of the interviews that we talked about last week mm. that came out of it in the press tour were more interesting than documentary itself. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, worth a watch on Amazon. What is it? Amazon, yeah. Yeah, good trip down uh, down memory lane for mine. Awesome. Plenty of uh, plenty of content to come on Amazon. We still will be waiting with, what do they say, waiting with bated, bated breath, breath for the, uh, the Arsenal documentary, which will be mm. uh, a lot of fun uh, come the end of the season. The Granite uh, Jack of Variety Hour, so... Yeah, plenty of. Uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of uh, Abamyang content, plenty of red cards, loads of fun stuff. And maybe I'll watch Sundal until I die before this ah, happens. You know, we'll see. There it's you like, go. You know, that's, we'll, that's, we all might try experimenting that's with something. Off season homework yeah. for, for Oscar. Evidently. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but we'll leave it there uh, on the EPL show on FNR Football Nation Radio. I'm going to get this panelling thing right as uh, <laughs> as we exit the show. Uh, Josh is miming the actions. I, I I don't need your help anymore, Josh. I've uh, I've experienced, I've learned from my mistakes, uh, and I'm going to nail it this time. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks for joining us on the EPL show. Enjoy uh, the rest of the week. Champions League tomorrow morning, Premier League action on the weekend, and we'll catch you again next week, same time, same place. Have a good one.